Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. My, uh, my very first seminary class was a, a basic but very extensive introduction to the Old Testament. It was a class where I learned that the 39 books of the Hebrew Scripture uh, are in three main sections. The first section is Torah, or teaching. It's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The second section of the Bible includes the prophetic books, known as Nuvaim. The prophetic books themselves fall into two other categories, the latter prophets or former prophets and the latter prophets. And the third section is kituvim or the writings. Now, I think Pastor Susan can probably pronounce all those Hebrew words better than I just did. Well, the third section includes 11 writings Five of the books in the writings are known as the wisdom literature. These are the book of Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs, and Ecclesiastes. Now, of these five wisdom books, Job is most pointedly focused on the issue of human suffering. The question of why do human beings, especially good humans suffer. Carol Newsom writes, in the popular imagination, Job is emblematic of the sufferer who uh, endures the unendurable without complaint. Now, like me, you may have grown up hearing the cliche, the patience of Job. So it came as a surprise to me when I actually read Job to discover that he is actually quite impatient about the unfairness of his suffering, going so far as to accuse God of being unjust. So over the next six weeks, we're going to spend some time exploring Job in a series called Weathering the Storm, which explains the umbrellas that are around our sanctuary. If you have never read Job, it would take you 42 days if you read a chapter a day to complete the book of Job. Our focus this morning is Job 1, 1 through 12, and I invite you to follow along, follow along in whatever translation of the Bible you have But I am going to use something called the Bibliotheca, and this is the American literary version, so it will likely be somewhat different than your version. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one who feared God and turned away from evil. And there were born to him seven sons and three daughters, And his livestock was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys. 
and a very great household. And that man was the greatest of all the children of the east. And his sons would go and hold a feast in the house of each one upon his day. And they would send and call for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it came to pass, when the days of their feasting had gone round, that Job would send and sanctify them and rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said to himself, It may be that my sons have sinned and renounced God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. And it came to pass one day that the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh, and the adversary came also among them. And Yahweh said to the adversary, Whence have you come? And the adversary answered Yahweh and said, from going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. And Yahweh said to the adversary, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil. And the adversary answered Yahweh and say, Does Job fear God for naught? Have you not made a hedge around him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his livestock has increased in the land. But put forth, pray, your hand and touch all that he has and he will renounce you to your face. And Yahweh said to the adversary, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not put forth your hand. And the adversary went forth from the presence of Yahweh. Now perhaps from the very beginning that sounded a a little bit like a bedtime story. And it it would not have been out of the question if the first verse of, of Job was, Once upon a time in the land of Uz, there lived a man named Job. And this is because the book of Job is written in the form of a fable. Some scholars use the the term uh, to describe it of an ancient folk tale. And this becomes clear if we listen and pay attention attention to the cadences and characters and to the symmetry that we find in Job. So three quick bits of information about the names in our reading this morning. First, the location, Uz. Now that sounds a lot like Oz, doesn't it? And the fact is that Uz may or may not be a legitimate location. If it was ever an actual place, that location is lost to history And it certainly does not appear on any Israelite map. Second, the the name of the main character, Job. Now, to Israelites, the name Job would indicate someone of foreign origin. Someone who is not among God's chosen people. And who nonetheless, this foreigner, served their same God, Yahweh. 
And I think it's interesting that the hero of this story is not a Hebrew. Sort of like the same way that Jesus makes the hero of one of his stories an, a hated foreigner in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The third thing we, we need to deal with is a bit more of a challenge. It is a name that we find, a term that we find in verses 6, 8, 9, and 12. And we will hear this name again in next week's reading. In the version that I read, this name is translated, as you heard, the adversary. But you may have a translation that uses the term Satan with a capital S. But most translations will also include a footnote to indicate that the actual Hebrew uh, uses the term Hasatan without a capital S. And here is why this is tricky. When Job was written, Hasatan actually designated an angel who had the role of defending God's honor, making sure that God was not duped by an otherwise sinful, corrupt, or unrighteous human being. Hasatan is also present in Zechariah 3.1. And it is in later centuries that the figure of Satan develops into a full-blown opponent of God. But that's not what's happening in our story from Job. And, and it took me a while to wrap my head around this when I was doing a research paper for my Old Testament class. So if you've wondered why you haven't heard too many sermons on the book of Job, this is why. There are so many complexities and preconceptions that, that we bring into the story. So it's difficult for a preacher to, to deal with all of those. Even John Wesley noted that in the book of Job there were, quote, many things hard to be understood. So if you feel a bit disoriented by what I've just said, I certainly felt the same way when I began to learn about this, and I invite you just to hang in there. But the key question for today's reading has to do with Job's motivation for having faith, for serving God. When God lifts Job up as an exemplary servant, Hasatan asserts that Job's faith is not for nothing. In verse 10, Hasatan basically says, Look, God, you fenced Job in from any threat, and, and you blessed him. But if that were not the case, he would curse you to your face. The accusation that Hasatan is making is that Job's Faith is purely transactional. It's based on what Job is getting out of it. Gustavo Gutierrez points out that the big question introduced in Job is this. Can human beings have a disinterested faith in God? That is, can they believe in God without looking for rewards and fearing punishment. Well, 
verses 13 through 19 then go on to describe a cascade of horrific tragedies that befall Job. First, Sabian marauders rustle off all of Job's oxen and donkeys. Then a, then a fire from heaven incinerates all of Job's sheep. Then Chaldean raiders come and they steal Job's camels. And finally, a tornado strikes, killing all of Job's children. And then Job 1.20 tells us that in response to all of these disasters... Job arose, tore his clothes, shaved his head, fell down on the ground, and worshipped God. And then verse 22 tells us, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. So based on Job's response, Hasatan is wrong. Job does not serve God because of the benefits that have been abundant in his life. Job's faith is not a quid pro quo, faith in exchange for blessing or protection. But this raises a question that I believe the book of Job is seeking to ask all of us who read it. Would Hasatan be wrong if that same charge were leveled against us? Is our faith in God based upon rewards or protection that we seek in return? According to Job 1, God is indeed interested in the question of Job's motivations. Otherwise, presumably, Hasatan would not have been permitted to test his, uh, his accusation. God would simply have said, well, of course I bless those who are faithful to me. Just believe and receive. And that would have been the end of the story. So again, God is interested in our motivation. So I want to explore this morning some of the motivations that we sometimes have for professing faith. And then I just want to offer what I think might be a better or, or even the best motivation that we discover in the overarching witness of Scripture. So the first motivation for faith that we sometimes have is, is fear. And there are many evangelists that use fear as a, a powerful conversion tool, fear of suffering and hell. But the German reformer the great Protestant Reformation began with Martin Luther, and he said this, people converted by fear will come to hate their conversion. And based on multiple conversations that I've had as a pastor, this is a major factor that when people tell me they decided to leave Christianity behind. And so I don't think the fear of punishment is necessarily a great basis for building an enduring faith in God. Unless fear means, as it does biblically, having a profound reverence for God. So that's quite different than cowering from God. And, and this is what Job has. He has a 
profound reverence for God. Another motivation for faith in God is that our faith will result in blessings or protection. Now, if that is our basis for faith, then our faith will disappear the, the moment we encounter any storm. This is, this is exactly what Jesus says when he told the parable of the seed that falls on different kinds of soil. And it's the seed that falls on rocky soil that, that just can't endure when the going gets rough. And, and this is exactly what Hasatan believes about Job. Now, I, I want to be careful there. This does not mean that we should not pray for blessings or, or protection. I'm just saying that if we root our faith in that, and then God does not vend out the blessings or protection we wish, where does that leave us? So it's not a great foundation for faith. Another common motivation for faith is the promise of heaven as a reward. And I want to say, I, I am looking forward to heaven, and I, I think the hope of heaven can actually be very inspiring. I like to think that my brother and my mother and my father, all who passed away um, long ago, I'd like to think of them as in heaven and restored to wholeness. And, and I like to think of having a great family reunion in heaven. And the Bible really doesn't say a whole lot about heaven, but I, I like to think about that. And I like to think about spending eternity, if that's part of God's uh, providence, with my wife in heaven. And that's, I say that after a month of quarantine. But as Rob Bell says, if that's the good news, if what Jesus does is get people somewhere else, then the central message of the Christian faith has very little to do with this life other than getting us into the next one. Which raises the question, is that the best God can do? Now, I think that's a provocative question. And I think the scriptural witness is God does far better than, than just that. But this leads me to name the, the single motivation that God actually does seem to value. And that is the motive to develop and deepen our capacity to love others. As one theologian says, and this is entirely consistent with the whole arc of Scripture, and particularly in our New Testament, God is interested not primarily in our outward acts of personal moral uprightness, but in our motives for our allegedly good behavior. And in one word, our capacity to love others. Which means, not merely to condescend to them, 
but to really love them. Which means we have to really take a personal inventory and evaluate whether we are are really loving them or if maybe we're just sort of loving ourselves for even trying. And what we want to get to is really loving people. The basis and foundation for faith in our tradition is misplaced. If it's rooted in anything else than growing closer to God by loving as courageously as Jesus called us to. 1 John 4, 8 is emphatic and clear. Whoever does not love does not know God. For God is love. Last Saturday, our our St. Paul's daily text message went, went out, and it was these words from John Wesley. He wrote, let love not visit you as a transient guest, but be the constant ruling temper of your soul. See that your heart be filled at all times and on all occasions with real, undissembled benevolence. Not only to those who love you, but to every soul. Let it pant in your heart, let it sparkle in your eyes, let it shine on all your actions. Whenever you open your lips, let it be with love. And let there be in your tongue the law of kindness. Your word will then distill as the rain and as dew upon the tender herb. Be not straightened or limited in your affection, but let it embrace every child. Everyone that is born of a woman has a claim to your good will. You owe this not to some, but to all. Friends, when we are growing in Christ-like love, when that is our singular motivation, fear dissipates. The quest for special blessings or protection dissolves. And each and every day of our life becomes a foretaste of heaven that we are privileged to enjoy no matter the storms that we face. Let us be in a spirit of prayer together. Holy and gracious God, Certainly this morning as we strove to get our live stream up, we had some challenges. But those challenges pale in comparison to the larger concerns that are uh, afflicting the world. God, help us to have compassion for those who are living with anxiety right now. Help us to have courage to give a, a kind word when we might be tempted to offer something a little less so. God, we thank you for the chance that we have to take some time to learn from Job, to learn from this ancient wisdom that you indeed desire that we would let love be the primary motivating factor, the foundation, the sure foundation of our faith, that Christ has given this love to us that we may give it to others. 
We thank you and we praise you. Amen.